be in Judges chapter 10 this morning. We're going to look at Judges chapter 11 and uh, first seven verses of Judges chapter 12. Lord willing. <clears throat> I want to welcome everyone to Trinity Fellowship Church. Uh, for those that are watching on uh, the live stream, uh, we're glad that you're tuned in with us. Judges chapter 10. We'll start uh, in, in verse 6. <clears throat> but before we do anything, let's pray. All right. God, we just ask for your help this morning, and we pray that you would sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are in Judges, <clears throat> and we are starting a study this morning on uh, Judges chapter 10, verse 6. We're going to go to Judges chapter 12, verse 7. And, and so again, um, as we have been doing, we are taking larger chunks uh, because we're walking step by step uh, through this book. Uh, today is another one of those steps as we try to uh, move through this book and unpack uh, this book in the Old Testament. Uh, if, if you're new here today or if you're watching on the live stream uh, for the first time or even if you just need a little refresh, uh, there is this cycle in the book of Judges. Uh, it starts out in Judges chapter 12 and it's like this seven-step cycle and, and we've been talking about it and, and this cycle unfolds uh, before us. Um, the first step is that Israel does evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord gives Israel into the hands of their enemy. Uh, Israel cries out to the Lord. Uh, the Lord raises up a deliverer. Uh, the, this oppressing nation is overcome. Uh, then there's this peace in the land. And, and the judge, maybe he reigns for a period of time. Uh, and then the judge, or what we've also been calling him a deliverer, the deliverer dies. And this is the cycle that you're going to see uh, play out through the book of Judges. Uh, so you go through this cycle over and over. And even if you study human history, uh, you can see a cycle, right? Um, I think it was Mark Twain. He said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Right, so, so we see this uh, play out in our lives as well. But here in Judges, uh, the cycle is going to continue. Uh, but today we're going to see that this cycle is going to continue, but it's also going to get worse. It's going to spiral downward. Um, you will see this morning as we look at this text, uh, you will see things uh, kind of move from bad to worse. And if you were to think about it in terms uh, of the last judge that we studied, which was Gideon, Gideon's life, he started out humble. Uh, he started out in a broken place. Um, he can't do anything to defend himself. And then he is successful. Uh, he's, he's faithful to God. God is faithful to him. And, and, and you see him um, moving away after uh, he becomes successful. Pride starts to creep in. And, uh, and, and now when you look at this judge today, which we're going to see Jephthah, uh, we're introduced to him in, in Judges chapter 11, uh, you are recognizing that, that he certainly starts out uh, in, a, in a place of humility, but we also see him as someone who is a, a mighty warrior from the start. Right, unlike Gideon, his family uh, has has disowned him. We're going to see that, and then he goes away from his family, and he becomes kind of this bandit. 
um, and the people who gather around him, who he surrounds himself, who he surrounds himself with, they're no good. Uh, they're, they're just not good people, and they begin to wreak havoc. So, so yes, uh, Jephthah is a judge, uh, but you aren't going to go home tonight and, and, and do your devotion with your kids or whatever and say, hey, guys, uh, when you grow up, kids, you know, you need to be like Jephthah. All right, you're, you're not going to do that. He's not presented to us in that way. Uh, certainly there are some decent things about him. He has some good qualities, uh, but the general tra trajectory of his life uh, is very messy. Uh, one of the wonderful things about the Bible is that it does not hide the difficulties that humans face. It does not hide the fact uh, that we are sin, that we are sinful, um, and that we have many sins in our life. Uh, it actually seems to to, to push upon us um, the darkness uh, that 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 Israel faced as a nation, the the, the warts. It doesn't hide the warts. Um, that, that are on Israel and that are on humans in general. Uh, when Tim Keller speaks of this judge, uh, he calls Jephthah an outcast. Um, you, you might struggle, and I did, uh, with, with how to come away uh, with something from this text today. If you've read ahead, um, like, like I was thinking about it this week, like what am I going to do with this? Uh, what, what are we going to learn from this? There, there's just so much tragedy in it. Um, like, like are we just going to leave here today and just say, man, that was, that was really messed up? You know, what we just looked at um, and, and then just go home. Or uh, is there something that we can gain from it? And, and as I thought about it, uh, to identify, uh, as I was thinking about it, I thought that this, this, this text is going to help us identify the deadly dangers of a secular worldview. Now, I'm not telling you to go out there and you're not going to, I'm not going to say, you know, boycott Target or boycott Disney or anything like that. I'm just talking about a secular worldview, whatever you want to call it, worldliness. Um, um, an unbiblical worldview. So, so to adopt any worldview instead uh, of adopting a biblical one. All right, this text is going to show us that we need a biblical worldview uh, because if we don't have one, uh, then there's going to be some significant consequences. And, and what do I mean by worldview? I'm talking about uh, the way you see things, the way you view things. Is it through the lens of the Bible, or is it through the lens of the culture, or is it through the lens of, of, of this age that we're currently in? How, how are you viewing things? We, we have to kind of understand Israel's history in regards to secularism and how it really infiltrates them. And it does that from time to time. And when it does, it produces horrific results. Um, here are three results it produces. And then this is what we'll look at today. Three results. It produces enslavement. It produces death. And it produces division and fighting. All right? Enslavement, death, and division and fighting. All of this comes from a result of a secular worldview or a secular view, or a worldly view, or an unbiblical view, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it is as they embrace this worldview, uh, the, the, the thinking of their age, as they embrace it, uh, the results uh, become catastrophic. Uh, so keep that in mind. I'll pick up on that at the end, and we will look at it more closely. The first thing we're going to look at uh, is this tragic worldview that they are facing. They are looking at the gods of their world. They're looking at the gods of their age, and they are seeing them as being more valuable, more trustworthy, more reliable than the one true living God of Israel. And it results in, number one, it results in enslavement. 
They look at the gods of their world and they begin to trust them. They begin to worship them and they begin to rely upon them and ultimately it results in enslavement. So let's, let's read um, Judges chapter 10 verses 6 through 9. Let's read that. <clears throat> it says, The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he sowed them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years, they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. Uh, notice again, verse 6, it says, Israel again. Israel again, we keep seeing that it is a pattern for Israel to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. And one of the things that confused me uh, when I first became a Christian is, is what is idolatry? Uh, like, like, you know, we don't have like idols, uh, you know, in our community set up that, that we go and we give an offering to. Like, what's, what's idols? You know, I don't have any weird thing hanging from my, um, you know, rear view mirror. I mean, what are idols? Like, we don't have idols. I, I don't know what they're talking about. Uh, but the reality is, uh, take the idol, all right, whatever it may be, set it to the side. And what is behind that idol is really what is behind all of human endeavor, right? So, so, so what are you seeing here is, is what Israel is trusting in, uh, their habitual hope, their habitual trust and passion for something other than God. That's it. God is a jealous God. Uh, he will not allow you uh, to try and find satisfaction in the wrong things. That's kind of what you need to come away with. He doesn't want you to have a divided heart. So Israel gives themselves over to the idols of the culture because they believe that those idols are more reliable than God himself. Verse 7 says the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, so, so, or kindled against Israel. So in his justice, because he is a holy God, he is going to address their sins. And I think it's important to point this out. He addresses it uh, as a father does. He is, going to, he is going to allow their sin to carry forward, but it is important for us to understand as he sells them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, it's not like that he has forgotten his promise to, him, to them. He has not forgotten. It's just to understand that he is allowing their sin to do what sin does, and that's destroy. So, so we're looking at this and we're thinking of a worldview, uh, a faulty worldview where you are trusting and hoping in the gods of the age that you live in. And the reality is, is that God will not allow that to continue. So Israel will come under the judgment of God and they will find themselves in a state of great oppression. And you will see uh, in verse 10 of chapter 10, Israel cries out for salvation all the way through verse 18. And God is going to use that to drive them to repentance. So, so, so let's look at that. Israel cries out to the Lord. Now, is there a difference between confession and repentance? 
Think about that. Is there a difference between confession and repentance? That's kind of an issue that we have to address here because you might say uh, that I'm confessing my sins, uh, but I'm not really turning away from them. Right? Uh, we, we struggle with that sometimes. So in their case, what they would do, uh, they would be in a really bad spot, okay? Uh, they, would, um, they would say that we're in a really bad spot. They would confess that. They would say, we need to turn back to God. Uh, but then they would say, let's take the idols and just put them in the closet, right? Kind of like we do our Christmas decorations, you know? Uh, let, let, let's just, uh, we'll, we'll save them from when we need them. We'll, we'll save these idols for when we need them the next time. Right? Uh, well, we're sorry, but we're still going to hold on to them. We're not going to take them to goodwill. You know, we're going to hold on to them. And, and, and so they're going to lay those aside, but they're not going to abandon them. Right? They need to abandon, we need to abandon our idols. And, and so God, knowing this, because God does know all things, he does know all of our hearts, he says to them, you haven't really forsaken these gods. He, he, he says, I'm not going to save you anymore. He, he says to them, go to those gods and, and find out what they will do for you. Find out what those idols will do for you. Um, it, it's one of those things where he is allowing them to continue and, and, and say, okay, um, you love and you trust those gods, go talk to them. Uh, you're in trouble, go talk to them, right? Um, so the people in verses 15 and 16, uh, you are seeing them move away from confession to repentance. Verse 16 says, So they put away the foreign gods from among them, and they served the Lord. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. That's good. That's a good news. That's good news in, in that verse. Uh, so now they're rejecting the gods and they're turning to the Lord. See, one of the lies in our culture, our culture says you got to make a deal with God, says you got to buy God, but but that's a lie. Like the, the truth is, is that God is a gracious God, right? Um, you, you, you know, so you, you'll get in a bad spot and you, you'll say, man, God, get me out of, you know, I'll do this, I'll do this. But that's you working, to get, working for God and God, he doesn't operate like that. So now they're rejecting the gods and they're turning to the Lord. Uh, they're forsaking those gods, man. They're turning back to the Lord. And, and now, uh, here's the deal. Do you ever think that you find yourself in a place like that? Where you want to say, Lord, uh, I confess that I was wrong, uh, but then you still want to turn and do that wrong. You know, you're, you're not really trying to kill those idols in your heart. You're sorry, but you're not really sorry, right? You're just wanting God to rescue you from that situation. That's what you really want. I know I've been there. I think all of us need to say, uh, well, we have to look at stuff and say, what are the idols in our heart? Because a lot of times it's not a bad thing, right? It's not a bad thing. We have to keep reminding ourselves. Um, we have to keep reminding ourselves of that, is that when we, we might take something that's good and then make it a God. You know, we do that a lot. That, that's something we face. And we have to ask ourselves, what am I most frustrated over? Um, or, or what gives me the most comfort? Um, what am I scared of? Those types of questions. And then we can really identify what we are longing for. Now, now, real quick, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1, if you can, just real quick. I typically don't do this, uh, but I think this passage uh, is going to really highlight something for us here to help us understand uh, what we're looking at. Um, I'm, I'm going to read Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 21, verse 25. I'll probably start reading it right by the, and I'll be done with it as soon as you get there. <laughs> um, but I want us to see through verse 25. 
And we could study this whole passage, but I think this passage in Romans is really helpful. Uh, it's a really helpful thing uh, to help us understand what is taking place in the life of Israel. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the Creator the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So the, the, the concept of idolatry is really shown, uh, is shown before us. They are seeking after all of these earthly things that they can see, that they can feel, that they can touch. And they are trusting in them. They are hoping in them. They are resting in them rather than trusting in God. And the difficulty, uh, there is... Um, and the difficulty there is the thing that, 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 that you are doing that with. Ultimately, uh, when God uh, gives you over, it's not like he, he is like over there beating you. He's not, it's not like he's beating you or it's not like he's over there striking you. It's just allow, he's allowing you to chase after those things when he gives you over to those things. Okay, uh, that, that, that is a judgment in and of itself. Uh, for him to just hand you over to these things that you're chasing. And, uh, and that's kind of the picture here. So I want to spend some time just laying out before you, uh, but, but because the story makes sense when you're, when you're working through it and you're understanding it like this. So let, let's think of an example of an idol in this age. Uh, I, I think, for, you know, just being all the way real, uh, control. Right, we we want control, don't we? Uh, I, I want to control things. Uh, I'm not good at it. That's, that ought to be one red flag. We're not good at it, but we love to have it. Uh, last night I had a fire pit going in my backyard, and I'm not an outdoors guy, man. I'm not. Uh, I, I I don't even look like I'm not even the kind of guy that has a fire pit. I mean, that in and of itself is just weird. Uh, but but we got all these limbs in our backyard. Uh, got these big trees, and, and Jenna's always on me about getting all the limbs up. So I had this big pile of limbs, uh, so I'm burning it, and I've got this huge fire, and it's kind of getting out of control uh, a little bit. And so I'm a little nervous because I'm not that kind of a guy. Um, but but my neighbor, my neighbor is outside behind me, and she's like, she's like, Richie, that fire's you know kind of getting away from you, isn't it? But but see, I, I was putting, I wanted to put up a front, you know, like I got it, and I was like, I was like, no, no, it's, I, I got it, it's it's all good, you know, it, it's it's right where I want it, right? What it's doing is what I want it to do, you know. Um, but but I started to freak out a little bit, and and so what I did was, uh, there's like this top, you know, that goes on the fire pit. And, and I had been, the whole, the whole night I had been, um, they give you this thing, I don't even know what it's called, but you know, you, you, you poke the fire with it, you know, and I had been using that and pulling the top up, it's got this little ring on top, and, uh, and I've been, you know, setting it on top, and well, the, I was nervous, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm flustered, and I grab the, the thing with my finger, well, it's been sitting on the fire most of the night, I mean, it is hot, I got a blister on my hand right now. And, uh, 
And, and, and so I just thought, you know, that's me thinking that I'm in control of the situation, but I'm not. I'm, I'm so not in control that I grab um, th this object that has been sitting on a fire for, for the last four hours off and on. Um, and, 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 you know, what, what I did, I immediately went inside. I got a little ice pack and just held on to it all night. Um, but th th there, was a, there was a lot of, uh, there, there was a lot of actually learning about confessing and repentance. But, but anyways, uh, I, I think control is something that, that, that we definitely struggle with in this age. Uh, but, 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 but God says basically to us, if, if you want another God besides me, you know, go ahead and, and let's see how merciful uh, it is it is to you. He, he, he says, go see how effective it is for you uh, in guiding you and enlightening you. And, 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 you know, I want you to think and consider uh, this worldview that believes the gods uh, in this age. All, that's, all that it's promising, all the views that are promising, all the views out there that are promising to give you hope and to give you rest and to give you love, to give you value and satisfaction, you know, those things are screaming out to you. Uh, it, it's basically a, a call to say, hold on just a second, right? We need to examine our heart constantly. Look at your heart to be sure that you are not pursuing the things and making them godlike things in your life because like we said God knows your heart and he knows when you are moving away from him rather than moving towards him so don't deceive yourselves so Israel has moved away from God and they find themselves enslaved uh, they cry out for deliverance and the Lord is going to raise up a deliverer he's a, he's a, he's an on-time God you know you may hear that and think oh it sounds kind of cheesy but Man, it's true, isn't it? Uh, so looking at uh, Judges chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, uh, and, and this man uh, that God is going to raise up, he's a mighty warrior, it says. Uh, he has proven himself in battle. He is a son of a prostitute, and he has been driven away from his family. And as I said earlier, uh, when he went out from his family, uh, he begins to, to surround himself with really bad people. And, 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 and worthless people. And, and you may say, you know, what does that mean? Uh, people that don't want to do anything? Or, or who are these worthless men? Well, uh, Gideon, if you remember the previous judge, remember his son decided to kill all of his other sons so he could be become a king. And you know what he did? He hired worthless men around him. He surrounded himself with bad people. Uh, so this man Jephthah is drawing around him all of these bad people. And what that means is, is, is he is a leader. He's kind of like in, in an underworld. I, had a, I have a group text, and uh, one of the guys, I was reading this text last night, you know, going over it, and I got this group text, and uh, one of the guys said, uh, he said, he said, Richie, you would know. Um, do you know about the underground in Marion County? And I'm in this text, I'm thinking like, yeah, man, I heard, you know, Marion County, we may, we got maybe some prostitution. I mean, we got things going on. He's like, no, nah, man, I'm talking about there's like tunnels underground. But I'm thinking of the underworld, you know, I'm thinking of, of that life, you know. And uh, he's like, I, I, no, they say they got tunnels out in Calvary or something. And I was like, no, nah, man, I'm, I'm deep in Judges 11, man. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but, but, but what does that mean? It means like this guy, Jephthah, he's kind of like, like a gang leader. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that's kind of what he is. And he is known for his fierce ability uh, to fight. You kind of know like if you're watching a movie and, 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 and the main character maybe gets into a little pickle and they'll say, you know, I'm going to go get my cousin. 
you know, or I'm going to go get my brother. I'm thinking about like Sonny on The Godfather, if you've ever seen that. Like he's got some good qualities. If you remember him, you know, he took up, he took up for his sister when, when, when her husband was, was doing her wrong. But he was also off the chain. You know, he fly off the handle. Um, he, 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 was, he was unstable. Um, the, the, the point is, is that's, that's Jephthah. You do not want your kids to turn out like this guy. And it shows you how far Israel has gone away from the Lord. And that, that's the sad part about it. Um, and, and, and what things are looking like at this time, uh, it, it's just really, it's, it's really dark and really sad. But there's another kind of point to take away from this. One is they have treated Jephthah like they have treated God. The people have treated Jephthah like they have treated God. How so? Well, they abandoned him when they didn't need him, right? They abandoned him until they needed him, right? That they, um, they, then once they needed Jephthah, because remember he was the son of a prostitute, they didn't have anything to do with him when, when, when he was just that. But when they needed him, they went and aligned themselves with him, and that's kind of how they do God. Right? They only call upon God when they, when they think they really need him. So again, as, as we are looking at this and you were unpacking it, you understand that Israel has chased after the gods of the land and it has put them in a desperate situation. It has cost them so much. And now Israel is sitting there and they are in need of being delivered from this horrific situation. One last thing I'll say about Jephthah. It's a reminder in some sense of Jesus. Uh, do, do you see that? It kind of shows, it's kind of shadow, <clears throat> it's kind of a shadow of Jesus who was abandoned by his people, and yet you will see later they will accept him, right? Jephthah, he was abandoned by, by his people, but then they accepted him and uh, when they needed him to what? To bring about salvation for the people, and that's what, that's what we see in Jesus. So it's a pale shadow of what is to come in Jesus. Uh, Jephthah, uh, he, he decides he will be the leader. He kind of goes through this process, if you're with me in chapter 11. He goes through this process to make sure that they really do want him, uh, to make sure they want to do that, that they aren't going to treat him wrongly like they did before. So he takes on that leadership role, and they are going to face the Amorites. And what happens is Jephthah starts out with trying to bring about a peaceful resolution. He starts out actually writing to them. He sends out messengers to them. Uh, he wants to deal with this in the right way. So Jephthah says, uh, go to the king and ask him why he is messing with us. Uh, why is he trying to take our land? And the king responds to Jephthah, and he said, you all took it from me when you came out of Egypt, uh, and now I want it back. Uh, so this is what happens. Jephthah first says to them, uh, he says, your history is wrong, sir. Um, we tried to pass through peacefully. Uh, so we rightfully took the land because you would not let us pass through. Uh, that's what you see in Judges chapter 11, verses 15 through 22. So, so keep tracking with me. He says, I'm going to give you a history lesson. The second thing you see is a theological issue. All right. Um, Je Jephthah basically says, listen, uh, if God gave us this land, and, he, and, and if he gave it to us, and that's what you see in verses 23 through 24 of chapter 11, uh, he says, if that's the case, then it's rightfully ours because our God gave us this land. He gave us victory over you. So there's your theological lesson. And then third, he says, legally at the time, the, the, the king we took the land from, he understood that we had the land. All right, so, so when we took the land, the king that was over at that point, he, he's cool with it. He, he, he recognized it. 
Uh, he had no beefs with us. Uh, so you can see that in verses 25 through 27. So Jephthah tries to say, let's work this out diplomatically, <clears throat> right? Let's take a diplomatic approach. Let, and, and let, let's be honest about the situation and get this over with. Uh, but that didn't work. So now they are going to have to go to war. All right, so the first tragic worldview is that Israel has been trusting in the gods of the age and they have found themselves enslaved. And as a result, they are going to need to be delivered. Uh, there's another worldview that comes up that leads to a horrific situation. And if you read over this, if you've read over this text, and then you've seen it, no doubt. The second worldview that I think is on display here is that God is not gracious. And I've mentioned that before. Uh, the, 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 that, that's deadly. Uh, that, that's a horrible belief that God is not gracious and that we kind of have to buy him off. And as a result, this will lead to death. Uh, now, now, what are we talking about here? Um, Jephthah is going to make a horrendous vow. Uh, look with me in verses 30 through 40 of Judges chapter 11. He says he will sacrifice the first thing to leave his house when he returns in triumph. He is going to sacrifice it. Uh, the Lord will give him total victory, and when he returns home as a victorious judge, guess what comes out of his house? Remember, he said the first thing that came out of his house, he was going to sacrifice it, and the first thing that comes out of his house is his daughter. He has said, I will sacrifice whatever comes out of my house. Now he is victorious, and he comes home very happy in victory, and his daughter is the first thing that walks out. He is he's brokenhearted. You you see him in verse 35. He kind of blames, he kind of blames his daughter. He half blames her. Uh, but then he just thinks, I cannot believe that I have done this. Uh, and, and, and but he also says, I cannot break my vow. Uh, his daughter even insists, like, like, Dad, you know, you made this vow, you have to keep it. And, and she even asked for a time uh, for her to mourn that she could never have children and continue the family line. She asked for some time to, to mourn over that. Again, this worldview that God is not gracious, man, it led to that. It, it, it's, it's a shocking worldview, um, and it doesn't come from the Bible. It doesn't come from the Bible. You know where it comes? It comes from the, the, the culture. It comes from this age. It comes, it comes from outside of the Bible. So Jephthah has made a commitment to a human sacrifice. He thought that, he thought that something else would come out potentially, maybe a slave. But, I mean, it's a, it's a major dice roll. Uh, but, but it was his own daughter. And he finds himself in this situation because he falsely viewed who God was. He had a wrong view of God that, that thought that he had to make deals with God instead of just recognizing God's grace, man. Um, you know, he had the Old Testament. He had the first five books of the Old Testament at least. And, and the scripture says that God hates sacri human sacrifice. Uh, so in the midst of making a false vow, what should he have done? Well, when he made a vow to do something, that opposed the will of God, you'd think confession and repentance uh, would be a good step. But his worldview would not allow this. Uh, now, why would someone make this kind of a vow? Why would they do that? 
Sometimes, uh, you know, when you look at the world and you were kind of embracing a world system, uh, you might have such a pagan and kind of cultural view that killing someone to make a God happy would be okay, um, which is probably what took place. If you were not transformed by the renewing of your mind, like Romans says, uh, then you begin to conform to the world, right? You begin to conform to the age that you were living in and human sacrifices were going down then, right? So if you're not being transformed by the word of God, you're going to be conforming to the world, right? Maybe not only was his morality messed up, but maybe also his views about how to interact with God were wrong. Uh, he kind of had a works-based righteousness Mindset. He believes you have to appease these gods to keep them happy. And, and he merged that into his belief about the one true living God. So he thinks the greatest offering to God is a child, is his child. So he is embracing this perverted view of the Canaanite world at the time. What God really asked for, and, and, what we, and we know this from Romans chapter 12, is that, is that all of our lives... Uh, we would be offering that as a sacrifice. Uh, God doesn't want us to, to you know, give a certain amount of money or, or kill an animal or, or stop cussing or something like that. What he wants us to do is just give ourselves to him, right? Give up our whole lives to him. He doesn't want something other than us. He wants us. He wants our lives. Now, why would Jephthah uh, keep this promise? Because, again, he did not see God as a God of grace. Terrible view of God. He did not see him rightly. He could not fully grasp in his mind that God would be gracious to him after he made such a foolish vow. That's what's wild is. It's not that it's not that uh, he it's not that he didn't need to make the vow. Like like God would have been gracious to him after the vow, right? So like even if you're in sin right now, or you're in you're in some sort of turmoil, or or you're in some uh, really broken place, know that God will be gracious to you right where you're at in your seat at your home. Okay, um, come to come to Jesus by faith. God will be gracious to you in whatever situation uh, that you are in. All right, and so I think it's important that we see that. Uh, there's a lot in this. Uh, we're trying to move through it. Hopefully you'll get something out of it this morning. Uh, but I think we really need to be careful as we look at this text and say, okay, how do I interact with that? I mean, you know, none of us in here will, will, would ever offer up our child like that. But maybe, but maybe, we, maybe we do need to guard our tongue, all right? Uh, maybe our tongue is off the rails um, you know, I want to be careful with the things that I might say. I want to guard my heart from making deals with God, right? Maybe you're making deals with God, um, and, and, and you, need to, you, need to do, you need to realize the grace of God if you're doing that. Uh, we also have to recognize that even if God is using us in some powerful way like he used Jephthah, uh, the fact is, is that we have not been completely transformed yet. Uh, we still do foolish things, don't we? We have not arrived. All right, and God knows everything about us. Another thing is, is we need to say, listen, uh, the cultural views of God or the, the, the cultural views of even worship a lot of times uh, affect the way that we view God and affect the way that we worship, okay? Uh, affect the way that how we serve God, 
right? So we have to say, man, I need a biblical worldview uh, that shapes the way I think about God and that shapes the way I think about worship. You know, I can't get it from the History Channel. Uh, I can't get it from that new movie that came out that's got a really sweet story. There may be a lot of good things on the History Channel. There may be a lot of good things on that new movie. But when it comes to how I view God, we got to get that from the Bible, right? So... We have to say, I need a biblical worldview that shapes the way I think about God and his ways. Uh, So the first tragic worldview that we looked at is that you start believing that the gods of this world are of more value than the one true living God. And this leads to enslavement. The second worldview I think we see here is that God is not gracious. Terrible worldview. Uh, And we think we need to buy God off. Uh, This is Jephthah's life. That, that he embraced that view that God is not gracious and it led to death. All right. The third worldview is that when, when you put yourself first, it leads to division and fighting. All right. We live in a culture like that, don't we? You know, I'm going to say what I want to say on social media. You know, I'm going to get it off my chest. I'm, I'm going to do me. You know, I'm going to put myself first and it leads to division and fighting. I, I read stuff like that all the time that it's You know, these articles, it's all about you. It's all about taking care of you. What do you need? It's this view that is twisted. And it's easy to say that and believe that, that that God just wants me to have this. You know, that God just wants me to be happy. Uh, That that God just wants me to be whole and complete. And, 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 you know, there's a lot of truth to that. but, But sometimes I feel like that we're wrong in how we view what that wholeness and that completeness uh, actually looks like that happiness. Uh, you know, we say, you know, God just, he just wants that for me. He wants me to have victory in every single area of my life. And that's a bad worldview to have. It just is. And, and that kind of stuff becomes part of our mindset. And I think it's a tragic worldview that will destroy us. Uh, so we get to chapter 12 in Judges. And you see, just like in Gideon's time, uh, the men of Epaphram, if, if you remember that, I'm getting, getting uh, jacked up here. Uh, You you see that um, the men of uh, Epaphram, if you remember, they were really arrogant guys. Do y'all remember that? Uh, They were very arrogant. Uh, They come back again to a judge, Jephthah, the first time they went to Gideon. And remember, they said, well, why didn't you let us participate in that fight? Remember that last week? They said, well, why didn't you let us fight with you? Um, We we wanted some glory in that victory, too. You know, they should have just been glad that, you know, that there was victory, right? But they wanted a piece of the pie. Uh, The second time they come to Jephthah and they say, listen, you didn't treat us right in this thing. And guess what we're going to do? We're going to burn your house down. And we're going to destroy you. So Jephthah says, hold on just a second. And he kills 42,000 of his own people. It's a shocking picture. You see him almost treat God's people far worse than he did the enemies of God. And that's kind of where I kind of want to just wrap it up right now and think, you know, there's an application there for the church that, you know, how do we treat each other? How do we love each other? How do we interact with each other? Hopefully, it's the best relationships that you'll see in, that we have in the entire world, right? Hopefully, we are treating each other better than we're treating anybody, right? Because we are a family, right? And we can't be fighting and being divided. Now, in every family, there's conflict and there's disagreements, right? But, it, but it's about love and it's about sacrifice. So it's this worldview of putting yourself first. It had crept into Israel. 
Uh, so Jephthah's leadership does not end in peace. And so here's the deal. When we stop and consider and identify the, the dangers of these worldviews that we've been looking at or, or uh, of, of this age, um, secularism, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, we need to know that, that, these, that these worldviews outside of a biblical worldview, they lead to enslavement. They lead to death, they lead to division, they lead to fighting. But a biblical worldview, a right view of God, leads to peace, leads to joy, leads to comfort, leads to security, and ultimately in Jesus uh, leads to everlasting eternal life. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, we thank you for uh, what you've given us in Judges. And even though there's a lot of darkness, there's a lot of brokenness, uh, there's a lot of sorrow. Uh, I think it's good for us to just wake us up uh, and, and realize that uh, we need to have a right view of God. That doesn't mean that uh, we are biblical scholars or that we can get all the answers right on a biblical trivia game. That, that's not what we're saying. It, it means that we need to know the character of God. Uh, we need to know God's attributes. We need to know who God is. And, and we don't need... Uh, to let the world or the culture, even though there's great, I mean, God, God created the world. I mean, you, you, you created everything. All truth is your truth. So there might be some truth in the world. There might be some truth in the culture, but when, when it comes to us relating to you, God, I pray that we would uh, go to your word. I pray that we would go to your people. Uh, I pray that the church uh, would be um, experts on knowing who God is and what you have done for us. So I pray uh, that, that we would um, grow um, in, in our humility. I pray that we would grow in our understanding uh, of truth and who Jesus is. And as we uh, prepare to take the Lord's Supper, I pray that, uh, that, that we would confess uh, and that we would repent of anything um, that is not of you, God, anything in our hearts uh, that is not of you. Uh, I pray that, that we would hand all that to you, hand our pain, our sin, uh, our brokenness to Jesus right now. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.